uh, Romans chapter 6 this morning as we uh, study through Romans. Uh, we come now to chapter 6. We want to look at verses 1 uh, through 14. I'll read if you can follow along, please. By the way, it's good to see you this week. <laughs> we came out this morning in Ontario when it was a whiteout. So we prayed a little extra all the way to church. Paul writing here says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, uh, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives... He lives to God. So then likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust, its desires. And do not present your members, your body, as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under law, but you are under grace. And Lord, we thank you. We're so grateful, Father. We realized that under law, how powerless we were. All the law did was just tell us what, we, what was wrong, what we couldn't do. But it never empowered us. And we thank you for grace, the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we stand here today by grace because of what you've accomplished. Lord, what you've done. And Father, as we come to this uh, sixth chapter, Lord, uh, there are some principles here that can be uh, rather challenging or difficult for us to understand and to even uh, Lord, experience in our life if we don't really fully understand them. So I pray that you'd help us with that. Lord, uh, you see, Lord, you know so intimately, Lord, who we are. Lord, you know our weaknesses, our vulnerabilities. Lord, you know our tendencies. And Lord, uh, uh, we, we certainly have a heart, we have a desire, Lord, to serve you. 
yet we find ourselves oftentimes tripped up. And I pray that, Father, you would help us and give us a deeper understanding, Lord, to make application, Lord, uh, relative to these truths here that Paul is speaking about. Uh, that, Lord, you, you, you simply declare to us that, that sin uh, will not be our master. Lord, it will not have dominion over us. And I pray that, Father, you would help us to understand, Lord, how that's to be, Lord, actualized, how that's to be realized, Lord, in our, in our everyday experience. And so, Father, I thank you for those that are here today. And, Lord, uh, we commit this time to you. We pray that you are glorified uh, in our lives and Lord, help us, we pray, to just live for Jesus' sake and for Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we, as we came to the end of chapter 5, Paul here was speaking of something I think is a very important and a very critical truth. And it kind of leads us here, basically, into chapter 6, uh, where he says here, wherever sin abounds, you know, grace does much more abound. And aren't you thankful for the marvelous, awesome grace of God? But sometimes, you know, when people... Uh, understand what grace is, the favor of God, the mercy of God, the, the forgiveness of God, and, and how wonderfully he, patient he is with an ongoing basis, that some people think, and, and, and that's what Paul is kind of, I think, dealing with here, at least in the initial part of this chapter 6, where people are basically saying, well, then, if that's the case, if grace is like that, then the more we sin, the more grace is going to come. Uh, and isn't that a, just a wonderful thought? But the fact of the matter is, it's a twisted kind of logic. Uh, where people think, you know, well, we're under grace. Since we're under grace, you know, God's going to forgive us. We've got to do what we want to do. Uh, and we will see that from time to time uh, out there in Christian circles. Uh, we will be tempted ourselves in that same kind of way. Uh, since, you know, we have this grace of God, this forgiveness, this mercy of God, that we can kind of do whatever we want, and we just kind of go back to the Lord and we get the slate clean kind of thing. Um, I remember I used to think kind of like that when I was a Catholic. And... Uh, uh, and we find out that that's the wrong idea, the wrong concept of grace, because grace changes us. Uh, grace wonderfully alters us, you know, at the deepest level in our experience, uh, where, yes, we still can sin, but hopefully that when we do, that there's a conviction that comes into our life, and we realize that we can't stay there. There's something about sin when it comes into the life of one of God's people. Uh, there, there's something uncomfortable about it. There's something that um, affects us in the deepest level where we feel like I can't, I can't continue, you know, in this kind of, in this kind of way. Um, and, and that grace, you know, brings us back to this place to realize that we need to get back to that place where uh, we're in a right relationship with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So it's important for us to, to turn from any kind of sin. Um, and again, you know, the Bible says we all have our certain proclivities. We have our certain tendencies. Uh, the Bible refers to them as besetting sins. Um, uh, you know, sins where, you know, there's a repetition, uh, where we have a weakness in a certain area uh, in our life. But the problem is, is when we let sin come in um, and we don't deal with it, uh, it begins to, it, first it alters our thinking and then it changes our behavior. That's always what's going to take place when there's, when, when there's some kind of, you know, uh, uh, sinful concept that comes into our life. You know, we let it in. Uh, we think that maybe, you know, foolishly, uh, I can manage this. Um, and, uh, you know, sin has an interesting way. The Bible says it has cords. It kind of, it, it wraps us up. It binds us up. Uh, it brings us into a slavery-type relationship. And we all knew this. We all, we all experienced it to some degree. 
before we knew Christ. But hopefully this is not our continuing experience, you know, as a believer. Uh, it can be. It certainly can be. But I think Paul wants to give us some insight here how we might deal with these kinds of things because he doesn't want sin to master us. He doesn't want it to reign, you know, within our experience. Yes, uh, we're going to sin. We're going to fall from time to time. But hopefully it isn't that overpowering uh, thing in our life that just simply controls us uh, and brings us into a place, you know, of, um, of spiritual and moral slavery. Um, so again, when our thinking begins to change and alter by that, it, it affects our behavior. And this affects unbeliever as well as believer. Uh, now he says here, uh, reminding us in uh, verse 1 here, and again, Paul uh, saw that danger even in the early church. He saw that as soon as grace came in, the grace of the New Testament, the grace of God, the mercy of God, he saw uh, that there began to develop, even at those early stages, a certain kind of laxity. And I think we need to be very careful of that, allowing that kind of you know, moral laxity in our lives because, yes, we can be forgiven. Um, and once you, the funny thing is sometimes once you experience freedom, the, the liberty and freedom in Christ, uh, there's, something, uh, there's something in our human nature uh, where we think that somehow we can dabble. You know, we can flirt with, you know, some old things because we've been delivered from that. that, that is that ever thinking ever entered into your mind? Or is it just my mind? Um, that somehow, you know, you've, you've mastered this, you've been delivered from it, you've got power now in your life, uh, and that's, that old sin presents itself, and you think, well, maybe I can, you know, since I, you know, I'm free from it. Uh, I can manage it. I can control it. I can flirt and dabble with it a little bit. And then all of a sudden, you do, and you find out, man, sin, it gets its claws into you. Uh, it, once again, you feel that sense of bondage or empowerment, or you feel yourself just sort of drawn, you know, to this tendency that you had once before, and, um, and hopefully, uh, uh, you know, we have this wonderful, uh, you know, grace that we can turn from that. We turn back to the Lord. We, we recognize it for what it is. Now, what, what was taking place is people were accepting sinful behavior in the name of Christian liberty. And, and, and I see that. It's, that's big today. That's a very big thing today. It's, it's always been an issue um, that we have, you know, we do have a liberty, you know, uh, we're free in Christ. Uh, but be careful of that, that we don't allow certain things in our lives that may be. And it's interesting sometimes that we can allow certain things to creep back into our lives things that once maybe we were in bondage to. But again, like I said, we have this glorious freedom, and we think that I can kind of manage that. So we kind of let it back into our lives a little bit in the name under the, the heading of Christian liberty. Very dangerous kind of thing, uh, because we will certainly be brought back in uh, to some area of, of spiritual slavery or bondage. Uh, that's the thing, you know, we think, you know, Bible says sin is deceitful. Uh, it's incredibly deceitful. Um, as it sometimes slithers back into our thoughts, back into our lives in some kind of way. So Paul says here, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And of course, his answer here, uh, as he gives us his rhetorical question, is by no means or certainly not, uh, for how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? And it's interesting, too, when people begin to allow things, you know, to come back into their life to a certain degree, uh, there's always that justification, right? Uh, we have to justify and we think through uh, how I can justify certain things, you know, uh, certain behaviors uh, that I know could be dangerous to me. Uh, and so we allow them in our lives. And so somebody may say something like this. Well, you know what? It's only a little white lie. Have you ever heard that one before? 
It's only a little white lie. I didn't know God color-coded lies, okay? Um, a lie's a lie. And, uh, and the thing is, when we begin to get let little things back into our lives, all of a sudden it opens up opportunities for bigger things to come back into our lives. Or people will say to you, uh, you know, when they've justified some kind of behavior. I'm talking about believers here. Uh, why are you judging me? You heard that one? You heard that one? Um, you know, why are you judging me? Uh, well, the fact of the matter is uh, uh, perhaps maybe God is speaking to that person through you, uh, warning them. But, you know, when we justify something, we have to defend it, right? As soon as something is justified within our life, within our experience, um, you know, we, we have to defend it in some kind of way. Or, of course, uh, one of the biggest ones is uh, God will forgive me. You know, God knows me. Uh, he created me like this. That, that's another one. He created me like this. And uh, yes, we have certain tendencies, but we don't have to live, you know, in those things. They don't have to s control us. Uh, so how shall we? Now, th this may sound like a foreign concept to us when Paul says here in verse 2, how shall we uh, who have died to sin live any longer in it? So it's, it sounds a little bit foreign, but actually it's a glorious fact here that Paul's speaking about, that when you and I come to Christ, we have undergone a glorious transformation. We have been transformed. We have been changed. We now wonderfully identify with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In other words, when we come to Christ, uh, that, that in a spiritual kind of way, and it's hard for us to get our brain around this, but the fact of the matter is we are so united when we come to him in faith and put our trust in him, we are united in his death and in his resurrection. Which, which basically is declaring there, we basically have died to sin. In other words, there is a new spiritual power that comes into our life, and Paul wants us to know this. He wants us to realize this, that we are so identified with him that there's a power, a resurrection power comes into our life that lifts us out of the old things that once controlled us. That's why, you know, the person outside of Christ, it's very hard for them to really change their life. You know, they can change a few little things on the externals, but uh, really deep down, it's impossible. And that's why some people find it so absolutely impossible to break away from certain sinful practices or behaviors. Because it's only given to the child of God. We are given a power. The resurrection power of Christ comes into our life, comes in to our particular experience. Now, he's going to illustrate this here uh, in these next few verses uh, with the whole truth of baptism. He says, he says, do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? In other words, baptism is a celebration. It's a celebration of basically we have died to our old ways. The, the old life has been dealt a, a death blow. That's why uh, uh, when we go out there, if you've been baptized, that's why we do full immersion. We don't just sprinkle somebody, okay, because the full immersion really illustrates uh, what baptism really is to represent. You go down in that water representing your death. You're, you're buried now with Christ, and you're identifying with him in that uh, in that uh, ritual, and you're also too declaring it at the same time before the world. And as you come up out of the water, it represents the new life that we have in Christ. Uh, and it's not an empty shadow. And the other thing, too, you know, baptism doesn't save anybody. It doesn't save a soul. Uh, baptism is basically only a representation, a symbol of what's already happened. That our spirit has been baptized, in a sense. It's been baptized by, you know, God's spirit. His truth has come into our life. 
Uh, so yes, it's only a ritual, but yet Paul using it here as an important illustration. He says, therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we uh, also should walk in newness of life. So he's basically telling us here uh, that when the, when the Spirit of Christ comes into us, you know, it, it, his power, uh, his resurrection power comes in, new life comes into us. And so not only, only are we celebrating in baptism death, we're celebrating life, more importantly, life, the new life that comes to us in the Lord and Savior. For if we have been united together uh, in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. So again, our union with Jesus Christ, our relationship with him is so now incredibly connected. That's why oftentimes, you know, it's referred to as a oneness. We, we have a oneness with him. We are so closely identified, you know, with him that we identify not just as the fact that we say we're Christians, but we're identifying with his death and with his resurrection. You know, Paul will say later uh, in this book of Romans, he speaks about being grafted. Uh, we're being grafted uh, uh, into this relationship with God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's kind of interesting because uh, I've always been a guy that's planted fruit trees on my property. Um, and if you've ever done any of that, uh, uh, when it comes to a dwarf or a semi-dwarf tree, uh, they have to graft that. And, uh, and you look all the way uh, at the trunk, the very bottom part of the tree above the roots, and you'll see something interesting. Oftentimes they slice it on an angle like that so they get more face uh, for the binding, bonding basically of the, the grafting. Uh, but what's interesting is sometimes you see two different color bark, uh, two different textures of bark there. Uh, and, and, and again, Paul using that uh, as basically an analogy or an illustration, what has happened, we have been grafted in, uh, in the point that he's graft, talking about, is grafted in um, you know, to the blessings of the promises of God. We've been grafted in, we've been one, you know, uh, as he makes the, you know, the church one with Israel, uh, that we've experienced you know, the blessings, the messianic blessings that have come to them, that have come to us. And so, uh, again, Paul here is when he speaks about being united, uh, he's speaking about our connection, our unity, our union with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's so incredibly close, even though we perhaps cannot get our brain around the fact that, yes, I died with him. We died with him and we're resurrected with him. Um, we, we may not uh, be able to, to you know, process that intellectually, but the mere fact of it is that God has spoken it. And when God speaks it, and he gives it to us, you don't have to fully understand it. All you have to do is believe it. How many of us have come to Christ not understanding anything about it, but we were just told to invite Jesus into your life, just believe on him. I do, I do, I believe, Lord. Ah. And you get saved. And it's wonderful. But you didn't, you didn't fully apprehend it or understand it or process it all intellectually. You just knew wonderfully that Jesus came into your heart. Then you began to understand a whole lot more than you understood initially. Now, he says this here, <coughs> and, and it, it's really kind of my point here. Um, many Christians don't understand this, this whole, this whole concept that Paul's trying to bring out here. But he says he wants us to know this. And he says this, I think, three different times in our text here. Uh, that the old man, are, and, and really, uh, uh, this is not, why is this is not your husband, okay? The old man, okay? Uh, young people, this is not your father, okay? This is the old self, you know, that old sinful self. Um, 
you know, what we used to be, who we were. Um, you know, sometimes there's such a radical difference in our lives that when people, maybe that haven't seen you for years, knew you before Christ, that they get a chance to, to be re reintroduced to you. And, and they may say or come away remarking, they're so different. They're so different. Because Christ, he comes in. He transforms. He changes. Gives us a whole new trajectory in life, a whole new way of thinking, a whole new sensitivity. He says, knowing this, that our old man was, past tense, was crucified with him. That the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Now, is he saying basically that, that sin will be eradicated and be eliminated from us? Oh, I wish he was saying that. I surely wish he was saying that, but that's not basically what he's saying here. Because when he says here the, that the body of sin might be done away with, he's basically saying here that our old selfish nature now has been deprived of its power. It's been dis disabled to a certain degree. Yes, we can still sin, but it doesn't control me. It doesn't dominate, you know, our thinking like perhaps it once did. What a glorious thing that we don't have to live in sin, that he's freed us. And we need to make sure that we remain free. It, it's easy to fall back, you know, into old ways, old tendencies. We live in a world that's constantly tempting us, constantly probing, um, trying to stir up the old motions of sin that's, you know, been, was part of our life. And we need to guard ourselves against that. We need to be careful that we don't allow that to take place, that we should no longer, he says, be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. And so... Uh, the purpose of redemption is basically to free us from the grip of sin, from the power of sin. Uh, and that's why it's a very important that, that uh, you know, as we've been saved and when we, or when we sin and we get cleansed, you know, be on guard, be very careful that you don't open that door back up again. Be careful. You know, we, again, we live in a culture that, that constantly panders to the flesh. That's why at one point, Jesus said, if your hand offends you, cut it off. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your foot offends you, chop it off. Of course, that's a radical idea, and Jesus is not saying to literally do that. Because I heard a story of a young boy who did that one time. put his hand through a bandsaw at the wrist, cut it off. Hey, I could pluck my eye out, but I have one more eye, and you know what that's going to do. Because <laughs> the probably really, problem really isn't the eye, the hand, or the foot, is it? It's here. It's his heart. It's the old nature. There are things you know, in us that need to be put to death. And you can't do it without the power of God in your life. 
Now, verse 8, <clears throat> he stresses again, I think, how important it is that we identify with Jesus Christ in his death, even though we don't fully apprehend it or fully understand it. He says, now, if we died with Christ, we believe. We believe that we shall also live with him. And it's very important here. That's why Paul said, I die daily. What was he saying there? He said, I put things to death in my life every day. And, and the more I think you, come, you get in tune and, and you grow in your faith, you realize there are things, there are thoughts and things that come into your life that touch your life that need to be put to death on a daily kind of a basis. And I think what's very important here, even though perhaps we don't understand this whole thing, how, how I'm dead with Christ when I feel so alive to the world, and I have such strong desires for the world, I think what he's saying here, and the, and the key, is basically we believe that we shall also live with him. See, as we believe, God's work takes place by faith. Because I can't understand it. I, I don't feel like I've died in, in certain respects. <laughs> and sometimes I don't feel resurrection power. But I have discovered this. That when I believe what God says, He actualizes in my experience, in our experience, what he said he would do. Somebody said this, and I, I don't know who the, the quote is from, but it's so profound. By faith, we, we, we appropriate in our experience what we are in grace. What are we in grace? Conquerors. You're righteous. You're his beloved. You're victorious. Oh, I don't feel victorious. For the most part, we don't. By faith, we appropriate in our experience what we are in grace, what God says we are. And it's interesting, when you go through the Bible, the Bible tells us what we are in Him. <laughs> and I think sometimes when we, when we just measure our experience, what we're reading in the Bible, it's like, wow, that doesn't sound like Christianity that I'm living in, you know, kind of thing. Oh, I guess those early saints, they were so powerful. They were different than you and me. They struggled just like you and me. And it's by faith do we actualize what God has said we are in grace. That's why faith is important. And faith is simply this. It's, I'm trusting his word. That's why you've got to be in the Bible all the time. Because the Bible is simply telling us and giving us a godly perspective and telling us what God says we are. Well, I don't feel like it. You've got to get over that. We have to get over our feelings. 
by what the world is telling us? Or, or maybe perhaps we've had a series of spiritual defeats and struggles and think, I, I don't think I can ever break this pattern. Well, not by yourself. But you believe God can do that. You believe He can change you. Do you believe that there are certain things, even though they may seem like they're powerful in your life, that you can actually be dead to? And a, dead to that and alive to God? There's only one way that's going to happen. By faith. By our trusting Him to do in us what we cannot do in ourselves. Faith is such an incredible... And it's interesting, isn't it? That what can take place, you know, Hebrews chapter 11, right? All these things took place by faith. And all faith is simply believing what God has said. <laughs> it's, it's not pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps. I'm going to huff and puff and believe really hard. It's just trusting Him. Trusting His word. Trusting His truth. We believe that we shall also live with them. You know, for the believer, eternal life begins now. It begins now because of what Christ has done for us. Now, this is the third knowing in verse 9. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, he dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. You see, in his death, he basically broke the power of sin. But he didn't do it for himself because he never sinned. He did it for us. He went to the cross for us. The death blow that he dealt sin was for those who would believe, for those who would trust, those who would give their life to him. And the fact that he defeated death and resurrection is the proof. That's what that, that resurrection proves that he had power over the grave. He defeated death. And he defeats it in the lives of those who will simply put their trust and their belief in him to do that. And when the old tendencies or the weaknesses arise up, we need to believe that. We need to believe I'm dead to that. You don't have any more power over me. I think sometimes, I, I don't know, there's times in my experience where I have just memorized and, and, and quoted certain scriptural truths. And they've come to my help in, in a moment of, of, of weakness or in a time of struggle. And maybe you don't memorize the Bible. That's okay. Just read the Bible. Isn't it interesting how God has a way of getting certain truths to us when we need them and we just open the Bible? That's just an amazing thing to me. That I can just sometimes just open the Bible in some obscure particular place and God is ministering to something, you know, to some area in my life, some area of need. Because the Holy Spirit takes the truth of that and applies it to you and to, you, to your situation. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Isn't it amazing how 
in, in God's grace, it says over in Hebrews chapter 2, I think verse 9, that he tasted death for every man. He tasted death for every, for every individual. He experienced death for every person that will believe and trust in him. Now, I don't know, again, how he, how he transfers that to us, I don't know. But he does. Because he's declared it. It's truth. It's truth. It's real. God declares it. I'm, I taste death for every person. I experience death for every person that will put their faith and trust in me. You can't technically figure, figure it out. But you only have to believe it because he said it. So if you will believe in me, I'll experience death. And you will experience life and resurrection. And, and if you know Christ, which I think most of you do here this morning, that's what happened. That, that was what was transferred into your life and my life when, when we believed. That's why all of a sudden we had joy. We had joy. We had hope. We had expectation. It was a glorious thing. And, and we, again, we couldn't. Understand it all. We just, we're experiencing it though. The new life of God coming in to us. Now he says here in verse 11, this word, reckon, it sounds like an old hillbilly term, doesn't it? Ah, reckon. Ah, reckon, partner. You know. We, we've had it 19 times. Or we're going to have it 19 times in this book of Romans. It's the word logizomai. And we see it also in the term impute, consider. It's an accounting term. It means to put credit to. And look what he's saying here. Likewise, you also reckon, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What he's basically saying is put this to your account. Credit this to your account. Reckon it so. Reckon it as, as done that God has imputed life to you. He's died on your behalf. You're dead. You're dead to sin's power and alive to God. Again, this, how is it actualized? By faith. Consider it so. If some millionaire, billionaire, millionaire is not a big anymore. <laughs> if some well-known billionaire came to your house and said, I know that you have certain needs, so I'm going to deposit 50 million in your bank account. What would you do? Well, you recognize them. You believe them, right? <laughs> if I say that, then you don't have to believe me. <laughs> but when you think about what accrues to you and me in Christ, Folks, it's better than 50 million. 
50 million is jump change, pocket change. He's saying put it to your account. Credit, to, credit it to your account that you are dead in Christ, dead to sin and alive to God. Well, that's not what my experience is telling me. That's not what my feelings are telling me. God says, count it, count it to be so. God's speaking to us here. I'm accrediting this to you. I think sometimes we have to be like that guy who came to Jesus one day and said, Lord, help my unbelief. That's what I think we have to do often. Lord, help my unbelief. Because a lot of times we, can't, we don't believe things because we can't understand things. And faith is more important than even mental assent and understanding. Can you understand God? Once in a while, I'll start thinking about the goodness of God, and I was just thinking about this the other day, and, you know, sometimes when you start thinking deeply about God, you can only go so far. God, you're this incredible, magnanimous being in, perfect, in person. What enjoyment do you get out of me? What enjoyment do you get out of me? Who am I? And I just keep, have to keep coming back to the fact that God has revealed himself as good and loving. See, he's never had a beginning. He has no end. We start saying about where'd God come from? No, he always existed. And I'm always reduced to this fact that Lord, you are good, you are loving, you are kind. And I'm going to just hold on to that revelation because there's a lot of other things I can't figure out about you. Faith. Believing what God has revealed in his, in his word, in his truth. About himself, about us, about he knows what we need. So again, faith it enables us to, to appropriate, receive in our experience what he says we are in grace. I think we have to remind ourselves that when we find ourselves tempted, we need to say, I'm dead. I'm dead to that. I'm dead to that. Lord, you said I was dead to that. Give me life. Give me the, give me the power to resist it, to fight it. Now, verse 12. <clears throat> do not, therefore, do not let sin reign 
in our mortal body. That we should obey it in its luster, in its desires. So Paul says, I think this is what Paul means when, when he says, fight the good fight of faith. You know, spiritual life isn't for wimps. It's not a cakewalk. Paul likens us to soldiers. And you know what? We need to fight. Not, not fight people. Not fight people. More than anything, I need to, to fight the tendencies and the desires in my own heart. The temptations that assail me. Fight the good fight of faith, he tells us. Don't let it rain. Don't let it master you. It will. He's writing to believers here. Sin can master us. So don't capitulate. Don't surrender. Don't give in. Keep fighting it. Well, you don't know how many times I'm falling. I fall. Get up again and fight. Don't, don't cave into it. Don't give into it. By the grace of God, he will enable us to rise up. <coughs> Excuse me. Though, the proverb says, though a just man will fall seven times, the Lord will cause him to stand. The Lord will raise us back up again. Doesn't matter how many times we have fallen. There's always grace, fresh grace to come in to help us. Do not present your, your members, you're speaking here of our body, you know, our thoughts, our mind, our eyes, our hands. I find it very interesting how relevant you know, the Bible is in this day and age where everything is like touchstone. Even my, home, my computer at home, touchstone. I mean, my laptop. Of course, my tablet, my phone are. But even my laptop is a touch-connected type of thing. But I love what the Scripture says is, touch not the unclean thing. <laughs> How relevant the Bible is, I can't figure it out. So do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So I think he's, I, I think he's saying a couple different things here is be careful that you don't put yourself in compromising situations. But more importantly, we need to present ourselves. We need to offer ourselves continually to God. Sometimes we do this, you know, at some conference or some retreat. We need to be continually doing it. We need to get up in the morning and say, Lord, I'll offer myself to you today. Lord, my thoughts, my eyes, my hands, my body. Lord, I want to represent you today. I think that's a good prayer as soon as we get up in the morning. Just a, a reconsecration, a rededication, 
giving ourselves over because I'll tell you what, the world is out there and it's ready to just sort of throw a net over you and me. Captivate us. Pull us away. But the good news here is we don't have to. We don't have to. God is greater. But present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. I think if we don't put it to death, it ends up putting us to death. Right? It does. Spiritual death can come into the life of a believer. So we need to fight back. It's like Paul said, what over in, in Colossians there? Mortify. Mortify, put to death certain things, you know, in our lives that would just create a spiritual lethargy and apathy and death. So he ends here with a, a great promise for those that will trust him. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under the law, or under law, but under grace. In other words, sin, he's saying here, does not need to be our master. I love this verse. I quote it often. You've probably heard me quote it before. At least once. <laughs> sin shall not be our master. See, we're not under the law. The law demanded righteousness. Grace gives it. And God will give to you, to me, whatever you need, whatever you need. He's here this morning. He wants to impart to us whatever we lack. He knows our struggle today. He knows where we've been. He sees our defeats. He wants to raise us up. He wants to empower us. If you need fresh power in your life today, and the Lord knows all the details, I want you to stand. I want to pray for you. Father, we praise you and thank you that you're the giver of life. And Lord, you have called us to be in this world, but to not be of it. And I pray that, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, you would infuse in us fresh life, fresh power. And we give to you, Lord, those things Lord, that stumble us, those areas and issues that we struggle with, they're no struggle for you, Lord. You're the Lord of life. I pray that you'd grant, Lord, you see each person who stood here this morning. You know our hearts, you know our lives. We ask you, Lord, to 
do a fresh work of grace. Lord, pour into our hearts and minds a fresh measure of your love. Lord, new desire for you. The ability and the power to fight and to resist the things that we need to resist. Give us discernment, Lord, I pray. Help us, we pray, Father, to not relax the bowstring, but to be good soldiers for you. And Lord, to bring you glory. Help us, we pray. <clears throat> Bless your church, dear Lord. Thank you for going to the cross. Thank you for dying. And thank you for rising up from the grave. That's why we're here. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name.